Welcome back to our Bible study uh, of the book of Hebrews. We will be continuing that. I'm so glad you've joined us for this study. It's honestly my favorite book of the Bible, uh, and certainly in the New Testament my favorite. I just think it, uh, once you can get a little bit of a grasp on Hebrews, it will open your mind up to the wonders of God, his plan, and of Christ. And really that's the focal point of all of Scripture, is Jesus and what he's done for us. The theme of this book is better, that, that things are better through Jesus Christ, that the Christian age is better than the old law and the age of Moses, and uh, not better because um, there was something inferior about God's law, but better because it was designed to be better. God's law was designed, the law of Moses, for a purpose. That purpose was fulfilled in Christ, and therefore we live now free uh, from the bondage of the law, from the bondage of sin and death, through Christ in a better reality than we had before. And each step of the way, the author is building an argument, point by point, layer by layer. And as we begin to accept each point he makes, then we move to the next point, and he brings the audience along in that regard. Last time we talked about chapter 4, we talked about the Sabbath rest, that heaven is better than the promised land as a Sabbath rest for God's people that we are looking not to an earthly place that will be the, the promised land, but to heaven, which is a promise that we have. Now, the author hints at something at the end of chapter 4, and of course for him it wasn't the end of chapter 4, uh, him or her, uh, it wasn't the end of chapter 4, because there were no chapters in uh, the way they wrote. There wasn't even punctuation. We put that in, and we put the chapters and verses in too. So we back up a little, as I always like to do, and check out verse 15 of chapter 4 where he talks about uh, a great high priest, and we ha we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, so we can have confidence drawing near to him and putting our trust in him. Now, this is an important thing because chapter 5 is about why Jesus is better as a high priest than the Levitical priesthood, um, and, and we're going to have to talk a little history about the priesthood, and we're going to have to talk a little bit about what the role of the high priest was and why Jesus fits that. Now, why is this important? Because it's going to take us about three chapters here to really understand it. But the concepts that exist in the old law still exist in the new law. And what do I mean by that? Because we're not offering sacrifices on altars, and we're not keeping all these festivals and rituals and Passover and all. Okay, so what do I mean? The concepts of the old law. You see, that's what the old law was. It was a set of rules meant to to bring people to faithfulness, obedience, and survival. There were some things that were just practical for survival. Look at Leviticus. Read chapter 11 forward and you'll see all kinds of rules um, that seem silly and arbitrary to us today, but that have real purpose uh, medically, scientifically, have purpose for God's people. Now, we don't keep those today because the purpose has been fulfilled. And we don't have high priests, uh, earthly high priests today, because the purpose has been fulfilled. So you see that Jesus was the completion, the fulfillment, the perfection of the law. And while we don't, we, we don't have to keep those laws anymore because what they, were, they set out to do has been completed, been finished and fulfilled. And an important concept is the high priest. See, we already talked about the worship of angels and Jesus being better than the angels. We've talked about the law and the lawgiver, Moses versus Jesus. We've talked about the promised land, the Sabbath rest. Now we're going to talk about these high priests. We're going to talk about it here in chapter 5, 
chapter six is a little bit of a break from that, divert, say a few words about something else, and then to chapter seven where we really get to understand something that the Bible says. And this, and, and well, I may talk more about it when we get there, but I, I wanna reiterate um, a point of view that I have with regard to scripture and its inspiration and how it's used by multiple authors because there's gonna be verses quoted uh, here in chapter five, they are quoted from the Psalms, so from David, but they reflect on thing, other things that have happened. So I'm, I must reiterate this, and if you've seen previous uh, installments of this Hebrew series, you'll, this is familiar to you. There are events that occur in Scripture that have significance for when they occurred and what happened. Okay? Specifically, we're going to talk today about Melchizedek and Abraham. And we'll talk more in depth about it when we get to chapter 7, but we'll introduce it today. So the interaction Abraham has with Melchizedek happens, all right, and it's important. It's recorded and known as a part of their history, and that's important. David reflects on it in writing the, the poetry of his prayer life, um, he, and he writes it for a different reason. He reflects on the history and the event and then recalls it to make a point for his purpose. And now the author of Hebrews is going to take David's words. So now we're three levels into this thing, okay? Because the people who were reading this or hearing it would have known the words of David. They would have understood their purpose and the concept, and they would know the history of the original event, Abraham and Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews takes the event, the words that were written about it later on, and puts it in a context where we can understand it fully. So see, it's, it's one event that is used three different times for three different purposes. So that the hearts and minds of the people that knew the story would understand what this author's trying to say. He, now, to the outsider, uh, even to many Christians, it looks like this author's taking a verse out of context and trying to proof text and make a, you know, make a point that wasn't really there. No, it was there by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean the uh, dictation of the Holy Spirit, but the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these words had meaning, and they live, and they breathe, and they evolve to be given new meaning in the context of Jesus Christ. And I believe that that might have been the purpose all along, that the whole reason Abraham met Melchizedek was so that David could write about it, and so, or that the author of Genesis could write about it, then David could write about it, and then the author of Hebrews could write about it, and we can understand Jesus better through it. I don't believe that's out of the realm of God's wisdom and plan. But that really, that will really blow your mind and cause you to look at a lot of things in Scripture differently. So let's dig in. Chapter 5, we just mentioned in chapter 4 that we have a high priest, and he's better than the high priest in the old law because of why? Well, um, he was tempted like we were. He understands sin. Okay, so we have... Um, we have a superiority thing there. Why does that make him superior? All right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. To understand that, you do have to understand the high, the high priesthood. So the high priest, the first high priest is Aaron, the brother of Moses. Um, eventually, the tribe of Levi is the tribe of the priests. They are the officers of all things spiritual and religious in Judaism. They ran the temple uh, eventually, and from the Le the tribe of the Levites. Uh, come the priests and the high priest, uh, and they're selected, 
and they serve, and they serve some very important roles. So let's talk about the roles the high priests serve. They were the intermediary between God and man. Man didn't communicate directly with God. Man almost never has since the time before Moses uh, and during Moses to a degree. Moses did. But uh, God, God's nature is so pure that we are not fit to approach him. Something has to happen so that we are. Uh, and what happened is that the high priest would go and he would offer sacrifices for the people, offer prayers for the people, deliver to the people God's word. The intermediary spoke for the people to God, spoke for God to the people because he was ordained by God to do this. In the tabernacle and then also in the temple, there were two rooms. There was the holy place, and people often say, well, that's where the common people... No, n nobody but the priest could go in the temple, okay? Um, and, and even to go into the outer courtyard, uh, you had to meet some certain qualifications. The priest handled everything in the temple, but only the high priest could enter into the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, and that's where blood offerings were given uh, for, for atonement uh, and for on behalf of the people, um, God's people. So sacrifice, prayer, um, not forgiveness because it wasn't fully forgiveness, but the, the patience of God was realized in the rituals that took place with the high priest. They went to God on the people's behalf to seek remedy for their sin and to uh, ask for, for God's patience. So that's what the high priest does. And maybe if you know a little bit about Jesus and about scripture, you already see where the parallels lie. But let's see what the author says. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men, so that we're talking about the high priest of the Old Testament, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. That's basically what I just said in not so many words. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifice, uh, sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. Okay, important point about earthly high priests. They're human beings just like you and I. So they hold this office and they are meant to approach God on behalf of the people. They have this intermediary position. They had to go behind a veil, behind a curtain. Incidentally, what happened when Jesus died? What was one of the things that happened? That veil was torn. It was torn, symbolizing the, the, the doing away with the separation between God and man. Jesus opened that door. Another, another little clue about his priesthood. So what it says here is because of the humanity of the high priest, that actually was a good thing because they understood this life is hard, right? In fact, so much so they had to offer sacrifice to cleanse themselves first, then offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. So while their humanity was a benefit, their humanity was also a problem because they were imperfect. And therefore, they could not perfectly fulfill the role of intermediary. They could only do so much as human beings. So there's, there, there's, there's an advantage, but in that advantage is also an inherent shortcoming. All right? How do you fix that problem? Well, what about, uh, what about you know, God or something like God? Even Jesus, right, um, could stand in that gap. Well, yes, but an important factor in that is the fact that God is God and Jesus is God. So while they would have the perfection, the sinlessness, they wouldn't have the understanding of humanity. Ah, 
but Jesus was a man. You see, we solved that problem, or God solved that problem. That's what chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 is talking about. Jesus came, went through temptation, lived as a, as a man, understood the human experience, knows that this life is hard and full of things that will trip us up. So he has the humanity of the Mosaic high priest, the Levitical priest, and the godliness that they lack, the inherent godliness, the perfection, in order to do that job completely. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 4, And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was, the first high priest. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. Again, quote, quoting a passage from Psalms, reflecting on God the Father, Jesus the Son. Because he is the Son of God, he was called by God to be the high priest. Verse 6, <coughs> excuse me, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I've already talked a little about Melchizedek, but ooh, who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, we'll get into the details of Melchizedek in chapter 7, maybe my favorite chapter in all of scripture, um, but we'll get into that. But he had an, it's, a, it's an individual that shows up one time in scripture very briefly, a few verses, has an interaction with Abraham. And the base, the, based on that interaction and what it tells us about their relationship, we can use that relationship to extrapolate some truth about Jesus. All right? There's no other explanation in my mind for why that happened with Melchizedek and Abraham except to later be revealed for us to understand something about about God and about his son, okay? But we'll get to it in chapter 7, so you're going to have to check back. That's what they call a teaser in the business. Okay, um, verse 7, In the days of his flesh, that's Jesus when he was on earth, um, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, think about that. Although he was a son, although he was like God, although he was God, he learned obedience. That means Jesus had to be trained? No, he, he learned how to live a life on this earth in service to God despite the trouble of this earth, despite the pain and the suffering that this world presents us. And he experienced all of that. He experienced temptation. He experienced death, suffering, his own suffering. He experienced um, grief. Uh, a, a full range of things that we would experience in our life. Verse 9, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Okay, now this idea of being made perfect, did, did Christ have to be made perfect by life on this earth? No. The concept of perfection in Scripture is closely related to the concept of completion. So he was made complete. He was made more capable. If he had just been the son of God in spiritual form trying to take on this role, he lacked a key component that the Mosaic high priest actually had an advantage in, and that was their understanding of humanity. But he had what the Mosaic high priest, Levitical priest, lacked, and that was a purity of spirit. And so he's able to bring his purity of spirit, being the son of God, into the world, experience the world, understand us through it, and be made complete. In other words, be made perfect, 
perfectly suited to be what he needed to be, a sacrifice for all mankind. Okay, so he became to all who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Oh, there's that phrase again. What on earth could it mean? Uh, chapter 7 will tell us. But suffice to say, something about this phrase, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of the Levites, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of something else. So that something else must be better than those other two things. All right, it must stand alone as something different, something better. Why is a priest in the order of Melchizedek better? Chapter 7, okay? But, but that the author is using that phrase to describe that Jesus is superior to the Levites, to, the, uh, to Aaron and the Aaronical priests, and he fits into this relationship that's established by Melchizedek. <clears throat> Concerning him, verse 11, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. So it's, he's saying, we've got a lot to say about Melchizedek, but before I get there, I'm going to have to mildly insult you. Uh, he said it's, uh, it's hard to explain since some of you have become dull of hearing. Uh, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have a need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses turn, trained to discern good and evil. Um, and this brings us into chapter 6, where he's going to take a little bit of an aside to explain to the audience, um, you're going to have to toughen up here a little bit. You're going to have to grow a little bit. You're going to have to expand your mind a little bit and get good at learning and listening. Because these are some hard concepts. These are some hard things. Um, get ready. And I would say the same to those of you listening and watching. It gets a little complicated, but I think we can handle it, okay? God's, God doesn't intentionally leave mysteries for us to have to sort out. Uh, he wants us to know some things. He's going to make sure we know it, but we're going to have to develop. We're going to have to mature. That's what the transition from milk to solid food is. It's the development, the development of your body to digest, to ingest, and to process certain foods. Uh, that's a growth, a maturation, a development. Spiritually, we have to do the same thing. And there's a time when we have to push ourselves to be able to take in something a little more complex. And so the author here has now established an idea. Earthly high priests had an advantage in their humanity. Jesus as a high priest would have an advantage in his, in his divinity. But when he joined his divinity to humanity in his time on earth, he became complete and perfect to do what he needed to do, and that save all mankind and be a new high priest, a new kind, not like the Levites, not like Aaron, but like this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, based on the relationship that Jewish custom and tradition teaches us about Abraham, Melchizedek, and their descendants. And before we explore that in chapter 7, the author has some words for us. Time to grow up. Time to get ready. And he's going to say a few more things about those who reject the message of God. And once we get past that, we'll be to chapter 7. But we're going to have this little aside here in chapter 6. And you can check back in, and we can tackle chapter 6 together next time. Thanks so much.